Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. My name is Amrit Sandhu. This show is about helping you live a life that's empowered for the love for life. And today I have the immense pleasure of welcoming Tristan Bray. Welcome, brother. Yo, yo, how you going? Awesome, brother. Great to connect with you here today. Um, just to tune in, um, Tristan has been a regression therapist for about 10 years. Um, he's got his work, which is an opportunity to heal. And in this, he brings his in-depth background in psychotherapy, meditation, quantum healing, cell biology, epigenetics, kinesiology, psychopharmacology, sexual health, diet, detox, philosophy, metaphysics, Taoism, shamanism, entheogens, qigong, kung fu, modern medical science, Man, like, if it's cool and it's interesting, Tristan's not just touched on it. He's actually gone apart and tried to, like, pick apart at the threads of it. And he brings this to his clients, his talks, and his workshops. He currently shares his skills as a therapist, a life coach, and a counselor. Bit of background. Um, through his 20s, Tristan studied internationally in healing arts. He is passionate about reminding people that the human capacity for healing is actually limitless. Tristan helps to open his clients' minds to how many natural super abilities they actually possess to enhance their own life, which have been squashed out by the mainstream belief systems and reduction of scientific dogma and disempowerment of religions. So Tristan's healing treatments, seminars, and workshops are primarily focused around clearing trauma and sharing why this is so important to all of us. Trauma, trauma is the biggest cause of ill health, in his opinion, in our world, because it will often permanently change the body's physiology, emotions, and the spiritual outlook if it's not released. Much of mod modern medicine looks at putting a band-aid effect, clearing out the symptoms of the current effect of trauma, as opposed to actually clearing it back at the creation point. Man, that is so deep, and it is such a treasure, to, like such a treat to have you here, brother. Thank you. That all, that all sounds pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> wow. All right. You're getting it done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, just, you just smeared my mind all over a big piece of bread, man. Like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. 
<laughs> That's right, brother. One of the cornerstone values of the show is humility, and I know it's one of yours as well. So it's all right to sort of flourish, <laughs> flourish our workings here and there every now and then. Um, you know, normally I try to open with an icebreaker, but uh, uh, this is bro today just with the having you on the show and just the intensity of the energy that that um, that is available to us in this connection. Um, I'm just going to go straight into it, right? So, an opportunity to heal is the work that you do, um, and I absolutely like. If you haven't, guys, please go check out some of the YouTube videos. That that like just the amount of free content that is just absolutely revolutionary and so valuable is phenomenal. So, an opportunity to heal. Um, but yeah, my question stems directly from that, which is an opportunity to heal. Does that not inherently suppose that part of us is broken? Mm. Yeah, well, the opportunity, um, firstly, that comes as it's like, it's optional. And this really, it's important to understand that this applies to there is no right or wrong, and no good or bad. So if you are hurting, or you have something that someone would declare wrong with you, that's not good or bad. However, if you want to reduce the amount of pain or suffering in your life, then you can. Now, an opportunity to heal comes from a quote from the Law of One, Book One, which is a channeled document from the United States, channeled by a woman called through a woman called Carla Ruckett, and a um, a, a voice that came through her that called itself Ra. This is called the Ra material. Said that there is no healers. There is only people that create healing opportunities for others. You know, there are no healers. People who create healing opportunities so others may heal themselves. You create a coherent energy. Yeah? Create a space. So that's what I do. You know, I am I don't ever call myself a healer. I just hold space um, for a very dynamic um, type of healing. It depends where people's belief system's at, where their disbelief system's at, you know, what where their vocabulary is at, what they need to go into, whether it's regression or counseling or coaching or sexuality or family trauma or epigenetic lineage, you know, some people are suffering because their grandfather suffered in World War II, you know, and that's very real and can be scientific, scientifically verified through studying epigenetics, you know, so I, I create an opportunity so that people can let go, you know, and some people want to go into the spiritual side of healing, some people want to go into the scientific side of healing, we do both, we can talk about shamanism or we can talk about quantum physics, it's the same thing. It's just different ways of talking about the same thing, you know, whether it's mysticism or science, whatever you want to talk, talk about. But one is very analytical and masculine science, and the mystical is very feminine and feeling. So often a, a woman or a feminine person will feel a concept, and a, a man or a masculine person will understand the very same concept, understand versus feel. So a woman will feel an idea in her body, let's say, and a man will understand the same idea in his head. This means that there can often be a communication breakdown between masculine and feminine in relationships and in life, where a man will try and explain something to a woman and she won't understand it. Or a woman will try and share something that she's feeling in her body to a man and he won't be able to take that on board because he can't feel what she's feeling and she can't understand what he understands. Because there's a very different way of dealing with, with information. So it's amazing to um, come into synergy of the both, both of those, mysticism and science. Mysticism, to be a mystic is to be sensuously aware through our senses of our connection to the whole universe. 
And universe means everything through time and space. It's a cool, it's all, like everything through time and space. You know, we are connected to everything. And so something that I've yeah. really tuned into in your, in your conversation about the universe as well is that um, life is inherently playful. Mm. Yeah, man. This is all, this is all um, a lot of philosophy that has come through a beautiful man who's no longer with, with us called Alan Watts. And <laughs> he um, is basically a scholar of the English language who studied um, Zen philosophy in Japan and China and India, in particular Buddhism and that sort of thing, where he started to bring a lot of these concepts together in a very like um, vibrant way of speaking English, but studying these Eastern topics. Now, the idea with the universe being playful is that you're dealing with the idea of nowness and creation, which means that on a quantum physical sense, the past isn't real, the future is not real. They exist in a state of energetic probability. Okay, now if you dive deep down into mysticism or dive deep down into science, you're going to come to the same conclusion. The past and the future aren't real. The only thing that's real is right now. Okay, this means that to be hung up on the future, worried about the future or regretting the past, that means you're sending your conscious energy and emotion into things that aren't real. Now, playful in creation, that means that a good way to think about it, think about your favorite song. Now, your favorite song, are you thinking about the very beginning or the very end? No, you're thinking about being in it, just when it's playing, when it's going. You think about dancing. Do you think about finishing dancing? The idea that Alan Watts talks about when you're ballroom dancing with your lover and you're going around the ballroom, are you trying to get to a particular spot in the ballroom? No, it's just about being in that very single moment, that unidentifiable juncture of time. We're, when we are creative and when we are playful, we're in that bliss where we're not worried about the future or regretting the past. And to be in that moment of blissful creation is to be in, like, uh, be in coherence with the universe. And this means like in Mandarin, they say Wu Wei. You're in, you're in the slipstream of the universal energy of being playful and creative and not, not spreading your conscious attention out through um, time into the past or the future. This means your conscious attention is here. And if right here is really good, then that means our health is going to be really good. Because as you know, if you study epigenetics or cell biology, so much of our conscious attention is degenerating our body by releasing stress hormones and down-regulating our genes and making us sick. So what is, um? I was going to dive straight into uh, what in your Understanding is the primary reason that we we get into this state of downregulation. Um, obviously, stress has a big part to do with it. Um, but what is what is I guess the stimulus for the stress itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, it's competition. It's it's the idea that we are separate from the environment. Okay, it's a, that's an idea. That's a construct. Now, if you want to control people. These constructs are very useful because if people are in fear and anxiety where they feel separate from each other and separate from the earth and separate from the sun, right? Like there's this idea that Alan Watts says again, like he says, maybe a flower and a bee are the same, are the same organism. 
They're not separate. They need each other. So why can't we say they're the same organism? We are not separate from the earth. We didn't land on the earth going, oh, my God, we're in this crazy hostile planet and it's going to eat us. We, are, we, we came from the earth. We are of the earth. We are a part of the earth. The earth consciousness flows through us. The earth speaks to us. We speak to the earth. You know. So the separation is an ancient construct that creates conflict. And then this is reinforced by a scientific um, joke called Darwinism that makes us think that there's this competition. We're in this kind of hostile garden where we need to um, to thrive. We need to compete and you know, focus on the, the the self and the individual and everything like this. And then this is um, re-kind of constituted through the idea of capitalism and, and the, the thriving of the individual through competition and sociopathic entrepreneurship sociopathic entrepreneurship that means to thrive in business you thrive off the demise of other people that means when your competitors are going down when they're going into poverty you thrive and you need to disconnect from them energetically in your heart yeah so that you can feel good about the demise of other people and this supports the economic brain damage that david suzuki talks about this supports bombing another country and not feeling any remorse yeah so again the stress comes from thinking in our subconscious and conscious that we are in conflict with the earth and the earth is in conflict with us and we are in conflict with each other. And this is the basis of that deep feeling of insecurity. And again, a disconnection from the invisible. A connection with the invisible means that we know that having a human body for a certain amount of time is very, very beautiful, but it's not the be-all and end-all when we move out of this body, you know? We are a, a, we are light that is traversing the human body. Yeah, we're not in our body. We're a signal that is moving through our body. Time's not real. Space isn't real. You know, all that stuff. So the most ultimate form of anxiety in, in us, hidden inside us, is the fear of death. And when you die, you realize there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. It's all good. And there's no real kind of, it's like going to sleep. You know, you're going to come back to another body whenever, and it's all good. Or you don't have to. Everything's pretty optional, man, and everything's pretty good. And like, it's more that we can live in this beautiful fact that we're we're here right now, and that's all that's really real, you know. Like when Cortes came into Mexico, and there was a lot of um, the you know the Spanish Inquisition sort of style stuff, where they the the natives were there, and these these people were often burnt at the stake for not becoming Catholics, and mm. these people. Um, the Spanish noticed these people had a very, they very didn't mind, the, the attitude towards death was very different to the Spanish because they were so in touch with the, the astral realms that they knew that this life, there's a blissful impermanence to everything as opposed to an anxious impermanence. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. Yeah. And I I am going to touch on death and life a little bit further with you as well and, uh, and also um, creation, but... I think what I really want to just tuck back a little bit is healthy competition. Is there a place for that? Mm, yeah, I think the healthy competition um, construct comes from uh, people who like um, competitive sports on television and that there's a healthy competition um, idea that's put into the masculine, especially in schools. Do you know what I mean? And it's 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 inserted in, and this is a part of the um, 
I mean, there's 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 blissful fun competition, and that sort of thing, and that does happen. I mean, but the reality is, is our society is sick, and we need to change some things quite radically. You know, um, it's really cool that people can go like go and go to the Olympics and compete in this way, but to to do it in a very loving way but the thing with healthy competition is it it reasserts the need for competition in ourselves and out there in the world where nations compete with each other based on healthy competition you know the success of a nation is is actually looked at by its economic growth infinite economic growth economics is brain damage we're going to have a healthy economic infinite growth on a finite planet Things are a bit upside down, man. So I think the idea of healthy competition to continue this brain damage, which is basically making our mother earth sick, is, is not is not really that cool, you know. So unfortunately there's no quick fix because, you know, beer sales would go right down if we abolished AFL and that's not okay, is it? <laughs> okay. So and also the idea of um pitting people against each other you've you've obviously talked a lot to um you know in the in the same vein as um val and watts but like the idea of oneness and, and synchronicities um yeah yeah man. Yeah, the whole... yeah well david wilcock um, wrote a great book called the synchronicity key it's a whole book man and um he he talks about synchronicity at great length as well in his previous book the source field investigations and synchronicity, he he labels as basically um, when it takes place, it's a it's a sign that you're um, in alignment with the universe and in alignment with your purpose and your 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 life goal, perhaps. Or if you look at James Redfield's work, The Celestine Prophecy, which is a, um, a fictional novel based on very real human potential when it comes to basically these insights in Peru and following synchronicity. If you see a synchronicity, like you, you think about a particular person and they appear, that means that you need to talk to them because the, the universe is trying to show you the, what you need to do. Mm. So those are, those are indications that you're, you're in the right place and that you are following your purpose. Um, you're in coherence, man. Yeah. So, yeah, you've mentioned this a couple of times now, coherence. So is that um, – obviously, it's an, it's an idea that's, a, that's obviously looking at a lot of – like frequency is a word that emerges in that. Um, is that you're looking at sort of the wave behavior of things but also the fact that, you know, you mentioned this before, but we are light. Um, and I know that's a bit of a radical sort of statement for perhaps some of the listeners. Um but yeah, can you can you pl- explain what coherence yeah. is? In, in a in a okay, let's romanticize a little bit. What does coherence look like to you? Coherence looks like um, energy exchange between, let's say, between people. Okay, now let's say I'm going to create a hypothetical situation here where we're going to talk about negative coherence, which can be a bit easy to understand, right? Sure. Let's say um, I am feeling very suppressed and disconnected from. Um, men in general because I was bullied a lot or disconnected from my dad okay and then let's say that this makes me very hostile towards towards guys in general okay right so and then this makes me kind of want to talk about how I hate a lot of certain things okay and and just basically want to talk about what I don't like and and this is 
this is the sort of conversation that gets me going. I want to talk about all the things I don't like, talk about guys I don't like, and then realize that men who are very um, loving and connected and open and friendly are not men who are like me. That means they're going to make me uncomfortable, which means I'm not coherent with them. Now, let's just say I go on this podcast and you are very open and loving and friendly. This is not something I know about when it comes to, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to feel like you. So I will subtly attack your sense of self in certain ways, whether it be what you're wearing or what you're doing in subtle subconscious ways that are going to slowly make you feel less positive and less happy. And then I'm going to shift the conversation to talking about things which are negative so that more and more your energy is going to lower to my energy until we are coherent. And then we can get into a flow where we might start talking about things we don't like or people we don't like. Because once we are coherent, we are exchanging energy. So let's say you're meeting with all your friends at the pub, for example, and you can all complain about something you don't like, the football team you don't like, the politician you don't like, the beer you don't like. You can be in a coherent energy of complaining about how you're all victims to the fact that there's a new low-carb beer that tastes like rubbish, okay? However, that, well, that means you feel a camaraderie. You're all victims to this, 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 these, all these things you don't like on a, on a negative planet, and you can feel safety in numbers, that you can understand each other and the fact that you all feel helpless. Or you can be in positive coherence where you can actually be with, in with eye contact and, and talking about creativity and positivity and healing, you know? And, and creating a better world and be excited about it genuinely in your heart together as a group. You know, that's a different type of coherence. It's interesting you touched on this and I really wanted to go here is how much of that um, coherence and, you know, the actions we take from that coherence is conscious and how much of that is subconscious. So when I'm like berating, you know, how you're presenting yourself um, when you're not in alignment with my belief systems, um, Am I consciously doing that? How much of my subconscious is just nagging you, if you will? It's, 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 it's both. However, if you look at um, the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton, which is one of these, one of the top cell biologists in the world, and he talks about the, the mind and, and emotion when it comes to the subconscious and the conscious. So let's look at the conscious mind is we're, how we're choosing to do things. We are in, like, in charge or I'm gonna. Um, I feel happy, or I feel this or that. That is five percent of how we feel. Ninety-five percent of how we feel is subconscious. That means we are not choosing. Yeah. Let Let's just say I've got issues with with again with the masculine, and you are wearing a tie dye t shirt. Let's say, and I see your t shirt, and I have a lot of emotion come up around how much I don't like tie dye. I do like tie dye, by the way, but you know. <laughs> I have my limits, but let's just say you're wearing a tie-dye t-shirt. The emotion that is going to come up, I'm not going to choose to feel that way, yeah? Maybe I wore a tie-dye t-shirt when I was four years old at preschool and got teased, and that emotion is coming up when I see your tie-dye t-shirt, you know? Around, I'm like, man, that's a pretty hostile t-shirt if you're living in Melbourne, man. Like, I wouldn't wear that outdoors or anything like that, you know? So, these things, we don't choose. So the most ultimate here is actually to apply this to trauma, physical trauma, sexual trauma, this sort of thing where you get into a situation with someone and the emotions, the hostility, the fear, the stress, the anxiety comes up. 
No one goes, hey, I'm going to feel anxious now. It comes up, yeah? So a lot of these things we don't choose. Now, if you to bring that into context of your question, can you repeat the question again? Well, I was asking how much of uh, the process where how much of it is conscious and how much of it is subconscious when we're um, when we're having these interactions with people where we're not in coherence when we're trying to when we don't even like how much of it do we oh, realize yeah. that it's a conscious process how much do we realize that it's an un, or how much do we not realize and it's just an unconscious process that we're not in coherence and um, I guess the way I would describe it um, probably from a place of being less neutral is like you know dropping into that victim mentality unawares you know. It's super common. It's almost always how it happens. I mean, exactly, it's, yeah. it's the other thing as well, which is very interesting between between men and between women, is that the forms of conflict where we will just subtly say other things to each other offhand, which are actually by design extreme forms of violence, you know, just subtle ways of trying to degrade that person's sense of self. And and this is just the way we've been entrained by society, by family, by competition to basically uh, eliminate the confidence of other people to in, in, invigorate our sense of self. And we just do this very subtly. If you are in your 5% conscious will, if you like, I am going to bring this person down by totally messing with them, by saying things that are subtly quite harmful. That is quite intense, where you are intentionally being violent to another person. And it's not as common, thank you know, God, but it, it, is, it, it happens. But most of the time, this, this, these subtle forms of violence that come from some pretty far out parts of our brain, like there's this thing called the limbic brain. And a good way of describing it is anything a dog would do when it comes to food, competition, aggravation, or sexuality. And this means that we can be very, um, very um, harsh with each other energetically, which can turn into thought projection and and verbal projection. You know, especially when it comes to an sexuality. And the reason we target each other's sexuality or sexual center, oh, that guy's a dick, or don't be a pussy. These sorts of things actually use subtle language to target the sexual centers as something which is bad, which comes from the Christian construct of original sin, that the fact is that we have sexuality as some kind of cosmic accident through the, you know, when, when we're created, oh, whoops, we gave people this, this dirty sexuality, but, you know, then we use it to attack each other, you know, and the, the reason we attack each other's sexuality is it's because the, it's the hard line to the brain. It's the easiest way to hurt someone's brain to hurt their sense of self and to harm their nervous system. Yeah. And this is, this is the main area I work with, with therapy and with workshops is to understand the sickness in our society when it comes to the way we projected each other's sexuality with our thoughts, with our words and with our actions, because this is the easiest way to harm someone and make them easy to control. And people might just think that this, a lot of this is, um, you know, is a deep awareness and understanding of things that are perhaps sticks and stones. Um, but I think this is a perfect idea to, it's a perfect time to discuss just uh, like you talk a lot about intuition, but also the biology of belief um, and how that, you know, how that really opens into like, like epigenetics. Do you, can you explain epigenetics for us, please? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, 
It's a pretty awkward term, and it's not very obvious what epigenetics means. And, yeah, um, it's, it's hidden it's, in plain yeah. sight, isn't it? <laughs> Basically, I'll tell you what the opposite to epigenetics is. All right, maybe this will give us an idea. Angelina Jolie went and got a check to see if she had the gene for a particular type of breast cancer because she had a history of breast cancer in her family. Hmm. She had the gene. So she had a double mastectomy and had both of her breasts removed. Now, because she did that publicly, women's magazines, everything like that, news, a lot of women are going to go, well, I'll just make sure I'll go see if I've got the gene. She did it. She's got a famous body and she's very intelligent and she's very a big advocate for women's rights. She went and talked to the UN about female circumcision in Africa. You know, she's supposedly pretty onto it. However, if you completely ignore every single finding in epigenetics and then you get both of your breasts removed because you think that uh, having a gene in your body means you're going to get cancer, it seems quite odd. Nothing quite adds up. I would like to propose that she was paid by the cancer industry to say she got the test, to say she got her breast removed. Because where's the evidence ever going to be when it comes to plastic surgery and everything like that? No one's ever, ever going to actually know the truth. And the cancer industry will make millions of dollars on more of these types of surgeries and tests. Right now, if you understand epigenetics, you understand that your genome is interactive. If you look at David Wilcox's work on DNA, in which he was awarded an honorary doctorate, okay, based on this research into DNA, one of the things he says about DNA is that it is an interactive template which will change according to its environment. Now, how does the environment get into the body? We see things, we hear things, we taste things, we smell things, then we feel emotions, we feel safety, or we feel Uh, conflict and stress all of the emotions we can feel when it comes to our environment with the earth and other people release particular hormones and our those hormones can be then be read by our genes and then our genes will express according to the environment okay this means that our body is so intelligent man like that means our genes our genes can change to 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 um suit the environment very quickly Every gene has 30,000 different variations that can be turned on or off. Every gene. Yeah? <laughs> now, this means that if you get right into this, right, is they can measure epigenetic change through saliva during a meditation of peace and safety. This is if you look at the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza and you are the placebo, then you can go right into this. It's groovy stuff. Now, um, that's all, all really good information. But the other thing here is like, it can change so quick. It can change so quick. The, the, the gene expression, the hormones are released, the hormones go down to the cells, and then that chemistry will literally take the cover off a gene so it can be read by the RNA and expressed. So what's really far out, I think, is that we've had a lot of conflict on the planet for the last three, few thousand years, and that a lot of people's genes are expressing for stress and competition and conflict and anxiety which means that we are ready to fight, we're ready to run, we're ready to compete. We're not ready to sit in a garden together and, and plant sunflowers and make dream <laughs> catches. 
you know, that's very different gene expression where you feel totally safe and totally nourished, yeah, and that you trust other people and you trust the sun and you trust the earth. That means you're going to express genes for very high levels of health because you're not going to be releasing those stress hormones all the time. The stress hormones degenerate your body and express genes that are going to produce cheaper protein, which means that things like cancers and different diseases can um, appear very easily. Yeah. So epigenetics means that we can change our body physiologically by changing the way we think and feel. Yeah, man. And Dr. Joe Dispenza has another book called um, Changing the Habit of Being Yourself. I think that's what it's called. Oh, no, no, it's, no, it's called Making Your Mind Matter. Yeah? So it's making your mind into physical change. Yeah, it's, a, it's really good stuff, man. And it's all... It's all there. It's all. It's 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 as scientific as you could possibly want, you know. And it's absolutely about the invisible thought creating physical reality, which I think is a really really powerful understanding. Once you once you really go all the way with it, it takes a lot of um, obviously a lot of ownership must be taken in that space. Um, and you must come across that a lot in your in the work that you do. Well, what's the opposite to ownership? I guess irresponsibility, yeah. perhaps. The opposite to ownership is projecting the idea that whatever issue you have is someone else's responsibility. When you do that, you're saying you're a victim to someone else's intention. All right? If you say something and I have emotional reaction, do I blame you for my own emotion? Do I say you're responsible for my emotion? Or am I going to take responsibility for me and my process and my healing, yeah? So ownership and responsibility are very important keys to this process of a global awakening where we stop blaming, you know, we don't blame, you know, a conflict in Syria on, 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 on boat people. We don't blame, like, all these different... We don't blame, like, you know, um, things in China on, on what's going on here. We just, it's, it's, it's this blame. We just blame someone, blame someone else out there. Or we're all helpless. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, Oh, don't worry about it. Just blame Tony Abbott. I don't know. Like, it's just, it's far out. So responsibility is like, it's like people who go clean up plastic on the beach, man. People who like go and try and stop supermarkets from using plastic bags. These people are going, beyond themselves to like try and create this big you know responsibility out there man like it's it's epic it's epic people who go and protest you know like being responsible you know people who create um sign a petition all this sort of stuff man they're being responsible and taking the stuff on board you know like doing it doing it you know there's a, you can blame, you can spend your whole life blaming other people. You blame your mum, blame your dad, you blame your brother, you blame your school teacher. You know, like, take responsibility for your reality. It's your reality, it's your body, and your body is the most important thing in your life. In an extreme um, example of this, um, I sometimes like to flirt with the philosophy of solipsism. Um, a solipsist is someone who. Uh, can't verify that a subjective reality is occurring for anyone else except for themselves, basically. Um, and in that space, each like they've coined the term of each solipsis has his own phaneron. Um, obviously, each solipsis doesn't 
acknowledge the existence of another solipsist because it's all his world and his reality. Um, but he lives in this thing called the Phaneron. Um, and I like this idea of the Phaneron. The Phaneron is basically my experience. So it's I find it quite powerful in a couple of ways because if it is my experience and if I'm the solipsist, then every single thing, like even to the place where if this is my reality and it's subjective and I'm co-creating it, even the place where my dog leaves a poop was intentionally set by me. And it's pretty extreme, um, but I do find it really gives space for some extreme ownership in that in that space. Um, is there is there um, in terms of people that you know? Uh, I guess victim is a very broad one, but people that are sort of stuck, uh, not stuck again, language. Um, people that are looking to upgrade um, their relationship with that um, incoherence towards what they think is actually or believe innately is actually better for the planet, but they're not able to execute on it. Do you have points of like? clear like easy points where the carpet can be pulled out with the string and it can start to unravel mm. so to come like just to clarify to become more coherent with the earth or to uh, come more that, coherent that, that, with... with themselves and the people around them because i fundamentally okay, think that you. would be them coming coherence with the earth as well right yeah 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 man um well i think what's what's cool is to maybe if you're not feeling good to identify the things in your life that that habitually are not good for you, right? And often these are the things that we see as the most normal or the most normal for everyone. Unfortunately, there is a, a large hypnosis going on when it comes to what we're taught as healthy and not healthy, you know? And this really, it comes down to, like, we could say it's new Taoism. Taoism is like the way. Wayism. You know, for example, most of the cleaning chemicals in your home are in endocrine inhibitors, which are making you sick, which you absorb through your skin. Mm-hmm. No one really tells you that. Having a Wi-Fi router in your house, particularly while you're asleep, which is on, is not good for you. No one really tells you that. Drinking tap water in any city in Australia isn't really good. No one really tells you that, you know, basically holding a cell phone against your face isn't very good. No one really tells you that, you know, um, it goes on and on and on. I mean, I just heard a quote this morning, the more sugar that's in your body, the less you can experience happiness because sugar degenerates your ability to release serotonin. And I don't mean mangoes, man. I'm talking Snickers bars, man. I'm talking Coca-Cola, you know, no. Sugar really makes pleasure happen. I mean, dopamine happens. Oh, I feel pleasure. Dopamine and serotonin are different. No one really tells you that, you know. So a lot of it can come down to the most fundamental thing really is actually food choices. You know, how much light are you allowing into your body? Are you eating things that are alive? Because if you don't, you won't be. When you say light, you mean sun energy, yeah? Yeah, well, basically the idea that, you know, when the coconut is hanging on the tree, the sunlight is hitting the leaves, and that sunlight is turning into good juju, like 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 good sugars, right? And the, 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 leaf, the, the energy in that leaf goes then, and the coconut gets bigger and bigger, and you can imagine the coconut is filling up with sunlight, 
and then you get the coconut and you, you get your machete or your, your ballpoint pen or whatever you got handy and you smash it through the coconut and you, you drink that sunlight. To think about nutrition as sunlight, okay? Now, when you do this, it, it, when you start doing it, it might not release as much dopamine, but you're going to become more and more coherent and sensitive and healthy and your eyes are going to be bright and your smile will get bigger every day. Now, it's 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 just do everything in moderation. There's no right or wrong. You know, if you need to buy a case of Shiraz every now and then, that's okay. You know, you don't have to be so hardcore that you don't enjoy life anymore. Um, but to, to, you know, to, to actually study the things that are making you feel not good and to listen to your body on a deeper level. Should I have that third um, almond latte this morning or not? Are my kidneys aching because I should stop drinking coffee? That sort of thing. So that's my question because a lot of, like, you know, there's there's listening to your body, which I think is really powerful. Um, but I know that that's, like, my experience has been in, in just my past as well is that, you know, I used to be one of the, like, I was the fattest kid in high school. Um, and there was a time where I couldn't trust the signs and signals that were coming from my body because it was literally there was so much sugar and poor diet consciousness already in my being that it would just reach for more of that sugar and poor diet Um, it would just attract more of that into itself Um, you know because what you're saying completely resonates now for me as well but I'm, I'm, I'm aware that there might be listeners that you know if they start listening to themselves they're going out to get another donut as we speak yeah dude this is very interesting. Now, I just want to um, I just want to salute you through the airwaves right here because I was the fattest kid in the class too. <laughs> I, I was I was the fat kid. There was one. It was me. Viva, so, viva. Yeah, viva. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, the thing is, man, is 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 there's the scratch and the itch, man. Let's just say you've just been on Facebook and then you've gone to the kitchen to make some muesli and then halfway through making that muesli you go back and check facebook again it's like a it's like an itch and then you go scratch it right this is the same with food this is called a dopamine response you can tune yourself to have dopamine anyway and like whatever you're addicted to so this means that the dopamine is going to going to put thoughts and um, urges in your head whether you're addicted to buying new cars or pornography or addicted to like anything man anything mm. you can be addicted to anything so these these websites are engineered by people who are good at programming who employ neuroscientists who understand how to hijack the chemicals in your brain to make you desire things you don't need they are farming your conscious attention. They are farming your conscious attention. Okay? And they're harvesting How it. all works. Yeah? So it's like, really it, just I want yeah. to throw in there for the listeners. Yeah. There's Tony Robbins talks about this. There's six points of um, – there's six inherent needs. And if you meet – if any activity or anything that you do meets three of the six inherent needs – there's a there's the perfect bedrock for addiction there. So that every time you check your Facebook, um, you're connecting. So the the six needs are uh, uncertainty, and certainty, connection, significance, um, contribution, and growth. So every time you're checking your Facebook, you're connecting. 
you're certain that there's going to be some sort of content there for you. And then if you get a like, (laughs) God forbid, (laughs) you're getting significance. Boom, right there. You're hooked. Yeah, man. It's interesting. It's interesting because there's certain components there that are missing, Mm. uh, which is very interesting. This week, I've just been doing some research around the idea of mirror neurons by looking at um, Dr. Gabor Mate's book called Scattered Minds about how um, ADHD is created in young children. Now, it, it approaches the idea that the human eye is like a part of the brain that's exposed. When I look at you in the eyes, I can actually tell what you're feeling. And this is the mechanism for empathy, okay? This means that when a mother looks at her baby and her mother feels love, the, the baby feels love too because it is, is seeing her love. And this, as the brain develops, this means that the neural pathways for love and connection are going to develop. If the mother is stressed and feeling disconnected and hopeless, then this means that the neural pathways for stress and disconnection and hopelessness are going to be read through the baby's eyes and those neural pathways are going to grow bigger. The neural pathways in our brain compete with each other. It's called neurodarwinism, neural Darwinism, something like that. Anyway, mirror neurons. Now, if we're connecting on Facebook and I can't see you and you say, oh, bro, I don't have time right now. And I might go, oh, man, everyone's always rejecting me and I'm not very important. But if you were looking me in the eye and I was like, hey, bro, do you want to talk? And you you smiled and said, hey, bro, I don't have time right now. I'd be like, okay, sweet. This means that the subtle aspects of human connection which are missing online can help re-perpetuate our insecurities. So if I have insecurity around being rejected, that is the easiest response to come up when you tell me you don't have time. This is why we argue on Messenger. This is why we argue in text. This is why we argue on the phone. Because the mirror new- these are not natural. Did we evolve with cell phones? Did we evolve with Facebook Messenger? Did we evolve with Skype? The mirror neurons aren't being activated, which means the empathy, the deeper connection, human connection is not being activated. And then a lot of people, when we actually meet face-to-face, are so out of tune of actual real human connection that they can't look at other people. They would prefer to have a conversation with that person on Facebook Messenger because they feel safer. And why don't people want to have people look them in the eyes? So many people have shame that they're trying to hide, you know, issues with their self they're trying to hide. They don't want to eye gaze, you know. So even that's the perfect segue because the thought that's emerging for me is actually you said people want to hide. Um, obviously, in that digital disconnect, it's quite obvious because there's a screen between you and there's a screen between me. Um, but this is this is actually propagating into the real lives of people. Um, the example that immediately comes to mind is uh, is Botox, right? Um, there are people running away and numbing parts of their brains to iron out wrinkles, um, but then obviously that's impacting their ability to empathize with one another because they can't form the same expression as the other person yeah it can make you feel like you're talking to a robot yeah man like the the what's really interesting here is the subject of neural linguistics and this means that this is again hooked up to more ancient parts of the brain like the reptilian stem of the brain it's called the reptilian brain and the limbic brain this means that if you say something that triggers me and i can just sit here and smile my face will still respond in very subtle ways which might actually show my discomfort. Okay? This means that our facial expression is a is a is a is a um, actual physical projection 
of our subconscious neural responses. Uh-huh. And then we get we get good at it. We start to read each other. We start to feel what's going on for other people with very subtle twitches of eyes and corners of the mouth. You, it's neuro linguistics. Anyway, so. What was the question? <laughs> I was just, uh, I would totally went on the rabbit hole tangent. No, no, it's good. Know. It was a good question. What was the question? Um, was... Just, you know, we were talking about the disconnect that people have um, through, you know, we, we went from addiction to disconnect, obviously being on other, like on other computer, like in, in computers. And you were talking about uh, Gabor Mate's work um, with scattered minds. And then I, once we were talking about that disconnect, I also reflected that that disconnect from the computers is actually creeping into like the biological life as well. It's not just the digital oh, life because people are getting Botoxed and, you yeah. know, like, when disconnecting from each other's emotions in our faces and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, man. It's 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 basically the, the the idea around something like Botox is the idea around that there's something wrong with your face. You know. So, for example, Instagram, they think now is the largest cause of stress and anxiety in youthful people in Australia. Instagram. This means that there is a comparison between ourselves and others. There is a mainstream idea around beauty, okay? There's these filters out there which can take away scars, you know, um, like acne, freckles, you know? You know, this, make things look, change, change stuff, basically. Where people start to, like, then these, there's a recent study where these, these very famous photo, photo shoots um, were looked at where men went in and became the models for these famous photos of women and the photo photographic teams were told to treat these men in the exact same way that they treat women and these men had a really hard time holding these poses and having clothes tucked tighter and tighter and you know the makeup and the lighting and just the the way they were treated like a piece of meat by these photographic teams and these men were shocked as a group as a group days later listen to this part these men were sat down and they had to, they were showing each other, they were as a group, the photos, uh, the photo of the woman, you know, maybe she's hanging off a couch, blowing in the wind with a white jacket. I don't know. But then they did the male version, but then they go to the photo editors where these men's like their, their hips might be tucked in their, their tight jeans, the legs that they're wearing, their legs might be even thinner, their shoulders, less broad, all this stuff. So you have the original photo, what they actually look like. And then you have the Photoshop version. That means the original photo, how you actually look, that is not how people want you to look. How you actually look is not how people want you to look. After people all the effort you put in to contort yourself into the image that they did. <laughs> yeah. Makeup, makeup, a digital nip and tuck, man. You know, all this sort of thing where everything is edited and changed. How you look originally is not how society wants you to look. That is why people have these eating disorders, why there is Botox, why there is like people who are putting bleach on their skin in Africa and wrapping themselves in cellophane wrap overnight so that they can look more white, why there are Thai girls using white skin, whitening skin products and all this sort of thing, why, you know, young young people are pretending they're eating their dinner and feeding it to the dog and leaving crumbs around the place to make their parents think they're eating, you know? Dude, like it's it's full on and it's because – Society is making us think that how we look is not okay. Yeah, yeah and there's a lot of violence in industry. Yeah, yeah there's the violence, man. Violence to oneself. Yeah, violence. and um, yeah. and I think you talk a lot about that in 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 your work. Is that you know, 
just the violence towards oneself. And when I was watching your work, you know, a lot of the there's this theme of ahimsa, non-violence that kept that kept coming through. Um, and the one that caught my attention the largest was, you know, just um, your word. You know, like if you say you're going to do something, um, actually going ahead and doing that. And I think that might be even just having the conversation with your body at times. Um, based on what we were talking about before in terms of how does one learn to trust their own body when they're not in a space of doing it. But if you set an intention, following through in that tension is the opposite of being violent to yourself. It's, yeah, can you talk to self-violence? Yeah, man. Well, I, I read something recently the other day that, um, that uh, say, for example, anorexia is a form of self-rage, you know? I have clients which are young women who are not menstruating anymore because of their anorexia. That's not healthy. Yeah. In, in Taoism, one of the ways a woman can really understand her, her health of her body is if she has a regular menstrual cycle. If it actually stops, the situation is very dire. Yeah. So self rage can be expressed in a lot of different ways, but, Another one is if you're feeling bad and then you go and binge eat on something that's really terrible, you know, or whether it's drugs or alcohol or something like that. Often the self-rage comes from the idea that society is projecting at us whether we're too fat or where our skin's the wrong color or our hair's wrong or we don't fit in or we're not as confident as we should be, all these sorts of things. Is, you know, 25% of people in the United States one quarter are on SSRIs and that is a drug which stops you from metabolizing serotonin as quickly so that you can try and feel a little bit happier yeah okay the easiest way to not feel happy is to feel a disconnection from your community and from the planet you know the solution to feeling better is not drugs especially pharmaceutical drugs it is actually adjusting uh, uh, the way we bring up children, the way we, we love one another in community and family, and the way we um, our, our councils and governments operate. There needs to be a big change. You know, you get into the Russell Brand kind of vibe with all that, when it's like as far as having like a, a spiritual revolution on the planet to change the way that the we're being manipulated to think that there's something wrong with us, there's something wrong with the planet, there's something wrong with the sun. There's something wrong with economics. There's something wrong with, with everything, man. You know. So, yeah. So in that, in all that, um, because there, there is an inherent, um, you know, this, this. I've I asked this question on two levels now. There's probably two questions in there. You know, in in that, um, in that awareness of everything that is potentially, or that everything that is not working for the planet, um, and then everything that's not working for people. Um, first of all. What do you see as being like, obviously no one solution fixes everything, but what's like a starting point for an individual, um, but then also a starting point for the planet? Um, are they somewhat similar in terms of, you know, where do you see the thread coming apart on the carpet um, yeah, man. in terms of creating that shift for an individual and creating a shift for the planet? Because like, you know, we've, we've been talking about some heavy stuff, um, but just trying to bring some light into that, that you're not sort of cornered in, you know, it's like there is so much opportunity to heal. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah, man. I mean, there, I feel like there is almost one solution that does fit all. 
and that is reconnecting with nature. Mm. It's that's it, and 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 that can seem really weird to some people, like people who are mechanistic. How do I plug into a tree? What do you mean connect? You know, and I, it's it's not about trying to actually do anything. It's about sitting in a park, sitting in a forest, going to the beach and putting your feet in the water, swimming, you know, like the more connected you are with it, especially your skin contact with the earth and with the the waters, you know, whether rivers, lakes, oceans, you know, to connect. And this is going to start healing your body and mind and reminding you, the primitive you, the primitive you that used to just – you know, climb trees and, and, and pick flowers and sing songs. You're in there, you know, and to go out into nature and your, your mind and your body is going to start to heal by itself. You don't have to do anything, you know, just be there, you know. And this is really cool because being connected to nature is the opposite to stress, is the opposite to anxiety, is the opposite to self-loathing, is the opposite to violence. Just being there in it, with it, a part of it, Yeah. A part of it. Now, the, the other thing as well is to, as far as helping the planet goes, is the more you are connected to nature, the more your value system is going to change. You could work for the rest of the year saving for a new Porsche, or you could work for the rest of the year and put that money into maybe um, becoming more sustainable in your life, maybe getting solar on your home. Or maybe putting in an epic vegetable garden, you know, or maybe going and doing a beach cleanup in somewhere that needs it, you know, like putting, realizing that you've got abundant energy to help the healing, abundant energy to help the creation, to go out there and be creative. When you help others and help the earth and when you're creative, that is where your true happiness is going to come forward because we are creative beings. We are creative beings. If you are working in an insurance office trying to like go through like files and do maths and statistics and you're not really creating anything, you're not actually living in your human potential and you're going to become less and less content with what you are doing on the planet. Whereas if you kind of go out there and you create and you love and you help the planet and other people, then your your purpose will bubble to the surface like hiccups, you know? <laughs> I, um, I, yeah, I have to salute you because you've just, like, if, if I was a guitar and I was only one string, you're literally strumming me right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm actually working on... Um, my PhD, which is in structural engineering on vertical gardens on high-rise buildings in the urban environment. And, you know, when I go present at university, a lot of that is obviously pollution, um, you know, all the, all, the, all the negative consequences of the way we interact with our, with our environment. But fundamentally, my inner drive, um, you know, my past with depression was, you know, it's about bringing nature back into the cities just to reconnect people with nature just so they can have a nice friendly reminder that, aha, a part of me inside is green as well, you know, like I am the universe looking in on myself and exactly what you just shared. Is, I think that's really, really huge. Thank you so much. That is just a really powerful, succinct, clear vision, clear message, and I totally resonate really with that. It's really simple, bro. you know. Yeah, like it's so simple. 
You know, like Gabo Mate said in one of his talks recently, he said, we don't need to do more research. We don't need more information. We already need no, we already know what to do. You know, and he's like, all we need to do is basically love children more and just, just be good to each other, you know? And that's, that's so simple. What does being good to each other mean? It means look at the way we're being violent and just stop it, you know? The radical self-assessment and responsibility, ownership, you know? Love heals everything, man. <laughs> it truly and, does. You know, healing potential is infinite, you know? Like, no one is damaged goods forever. Like, you and I have both been through a point in our life where we're overweight and we're feeling isolated and, and like, at a point where we don't know how to change the situation, mm-hmm. Okay. It's very hard to lose weight quickly, you know, and it's very hard for a young child to have enough information to know what's possible, where you feel like you are damaged goods forever, okay? You and I have both um, graduated physically and mentally through that, you know? Like, there is still some some carnage in my subconscious around um, feeling bullied or feeling separate from other people, which I, which I am coping with and dealing with and taking ownership of, you know? And... And th- that's also helped me helps me understand the plight of people who feel overweight, you know, and to give them more love. You know? But you and I have both moved through that, and we know that feeling – no one is damaged goods forever, even if you feel like everything is permanent. Which is powerful because I was going to try and unravel, like, try or try and ask you, like, how did this story unravel for you, like, in terms of, you know, how does one become so heavily invested in trauma, you know, like, how do you – Obviously, the childhood, like I know it was traumatic growing up being a heavy kid in a in a Western society, um, actually probably in any society. Um, but yeah, is that is was that part of like quite a formative experience for you or there's been a few along the way? I mean, that was probably one of the first ones. But I think that, um, I mean, the real catalyst for me was, was, for one, when I was 11, having a school teacher from Colorado, um, from Boulder, Colorado, who really believed in me. And didn't really see me as different from the other kids and and just really saw something in me. And having that, just a really nice um, elder around who, who looks at you and believes you and loves you unconditionally and just sees your infinite potential. And for a young person, that can turn everything around. And it did. Another element for me was like, uh, like a, a teenage love experience, you know, of being like, wow, I'm, I really like this girl. And I am so um, impassioned by the idea of, of, of connecting with her that I, I started eating a lot less. I started running every day. And within a few years, I was competing nationally in long distance running. I lost all the weight. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And I dated the girl and it was great, you know. And it's like to see the, the, the love and the human connection. And this is the really important point here is – Human connection, it can be the biggest catalyst, and it was for me. And that human connection is a biological imperative. People who live alone or feel lonely are so much more susceptible to disease, and this is a very proven fact. They get hundreds of medical students in the United States when they start medical college, and they find out which ones are are lonely or live alone. And then they test them over the years, and all those ones get sicker than the ones who are not. So stress can make you sick, but loneliness 
And the thing that, about loneliness is your partner can live with you and sleep in the same bed with you. But if they are not emotionally present, uh-huh. you can still feel lonely and disconnected. Yeah. So real, genuine, yeah. human, loving, compassionate connection is absolutely a part of, of, of health because we were, we, we were created inside a body. And we were held, when we were held by your mother for the first year, hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, a lot and breastfed, you still feel like you're in a part of your body, you know, you're like you're, you're there. So this human connection mm-hmm. is what creates the healthiest neural pathways as our brain develops outside the womb. So it's very, very important. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You have genuine human connection. Did you know that around uh, 26% of Australians live alone? Oh, wow. Really? Yep. That's a staggering fact. I think it used to be 28%. Yeah, you can look it up on, uh, like, the... You can Google it. Uh, I think it's the latest from the last uh, census. Yep. Or whatever. What is it? School of the census? You know, the yep. thing, the interview That's thing? That's what they call it. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah wow. it's far up. Um, I want to ask you um, something practical. Like, how do you, obviously, working with trauma? You know, you're 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 tuning into people like that have um, that are coming seeking. For, like, I'm sure you get this a lot in terms of people projecting some of their insecurities that their their work for like asking you for help in that. Um, you know, people that are obviously some people there would be some sort of coherence within yourself. There would be some traumas that triggered more deeply within yourself. Um, say, obviously, if it was like, you know, my example, your example, food, you know, or something like, say, if someone's anorexic, how do you, um, what's, you know, being a trauma worker, and obviously your work is profound. Um, and just if, yeah, again, check out the website, guys. Some of the reviews will leave you, like, yeah, speechless. Um, and just seeing how effectively you um, involve yourself in other people's trauma and life to create the shifts that are necessary for them, which is so indicative when you get the feedback. Um, how do you manage your, yourself in your state in that? Like, you know, how do you not take other people's stuff on, I guess, is, is the simple way of asking that question, but it's a bit cruder than what I was trying to articulate. Yeah. Well, look, man, is, 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 is when you help someone heal, you, you are also healing yourself because we're all one. Any inquiry into physics or spirituality will always lead you back to oneness. So anytime you are helping another person, you are helping yourself. Now, the idea in, in, 
in a lot of uh, traditional cultures around the world is if you want to help yourself, help someone else or pray for someone else, send good intentions to someone else. The other thing as well is if if someone's healing process makes me feel uncomfortable, because that might mean that I'm uncomfortable with myself. You need to, to, to be a good therapist. You need to become very comfortable with yourself, by yourself, with other people. You need to become very comfortable with the fact that some people might think good or bad things about you and you need to not really care. Yeah, Like whatever I'm wearing down the street, if someone projects at me, I don't, I don't care what they think, man. Like if someone wants to be negative towards me, I don't care. So the more that you feel deeply um, okay with yourself, how you look every day or whatever, the more you love yourself and this is, this is who I am. The, it's just so simple. When you love yourself, helping others is really easy because it's like um, your energy of self-love w- will invisibly affect them. If, if you go to a healer who's insecure, it's not going to work out so well. It's actually really simple. So once you identify your insecurities and everything like that and you put love into your, your life and your, you know, the way you were brought up, become more and more okay with yourself, you know? Like, I, I, I'm wearing a woman's t-shirt. I got it for $8 <laughs> the other day at, tar- at Target and it's really comfortable and because the, the, the t-shirts in the women's section have softer cotton. <laughs> I switched on. <laughs> Because, because men are hard and we can just wear burlap. And just, Get us some flannel. It, you know? <laughs> right, right. And if someone finds that weird or projects at my sexuality, do you know what I mean? Like, um, I'm not sure what my girlfriend thinks about it, but I'm okay with it. You know, I'm okay with what she thinks about it, whatever she thinks about it. I don't care. I'm secure with myself. And th- what's really interesting is people who are insecure with who they are are more susceptible to autoimmune disease. Mm. What's autoimmune disease? That means that your immune system doesn't know who you are and your immune system starts to attack you and you get things like multiple sclerosis where your immune system starts to attack your spinal cord. That sucks, man. So when a lot of young women get multiple sclerosis, is this actually linked to a lower sense of self and a lower sense of security and a lower sense of loving identity around who we are? There is an emotional profile for neuro, sorry, for um, autoimmune disease, and you can study these in Gabor Mate's wonderful book. Um, what's it? What's it called? Oh, the cost of hidden stress. You know, there's an emotional profile for breast cancer. There's an emotional profile for prostate cancer. Yeah, because they say cancer my has research- to do with anger as well. Um, and this is just touching back on um, again Gabor Mate's work, and also that of um, I think was it. Uh, I think Bruce Lipton, um, he talks about how, uh, I think you were touching on this earlier, um, that yes, you know, with epigenetics, people say, okay, how come my father had um, cancer and then I ended up with cancer as well? Um, and the argument that presented itself is is environment-based, right? Yeah, man. I mean, it's interesting because a lot of my research in the last wee while has brought me to an, an idea which has been very foreign to me. And that, that's anger's, anger is, is the, the fact that anger isn't too bad. Anger's all right. It's when you don't express it. 
So you're feeling angry and you don't express it because you don't want to upset anyone. You don't want to stress your mama out. You don't want to stress your, your partner out, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. So you don't express mm. the anger. You just kind of push it down in there. Yeah. All right. Now that is what it makes you sick. Right. Anger is actually, if you look at um, Dr. David Hawkins, who's one of the pioneers of kinesiology. Yeah. Power versus force. All- what a book. Good book. All right. So you know what I'm talking about. There's a book called Power vs. Force where they grade the energetic quality of human emotions. Uh-huh. And anger is pretty good. Let's just say that, you know, um, here's the thing. In Canada, they had Stephen Harper took over the government, and he abolished um, basically the ability for any scientist for, to produce a, um, a, a paper that would discredit the um, government, especially on the environment. So if you said that coal... The, um, open tar sand oil extraction was bad, then the government made it illegal for you to print that scientific paper. That made people angry. That made the public angry. When Tony Abbott became Prime Minister of Australia, he abolished the Climate Commission. That made people angry. That anger meant that there was a change and Tony Abbott didn't let go for a full term. In Canada, that made people angry to the point where so many people who had never voted, voted. And now they have Justin Trudeau, who's like the wonder child of Western politics, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's been completely endorsed by the um, First Nations people. He has many, many women in his ministerial cabinet, including um, people who have been um, exiled from other countries and um, many different religions, all this sort of thing. So people's anger created the necessary change. So it's amazing how you have these people like Stephen Harper or Tony Abbott who represent a threat to what we, what we hold dear. And that threat actually makes us become angry and create more love on the planet. You know? Maybe, like, one of the ideas I like to play with is maybe Tony Abbott is very spiritually advanced and he is just being a, a, um, a total um, arsehole on purpose <laughs> to make us wake up. Yeah? Maybe not consciously, maybe yeah. subconsciously. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I know that that's not actually what's happening. It's not actually what's happening. You've got to bend it outside the box sometimes. One, if, 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 someone, if, if someone is completely selfless, they can actually play the role of the threat that makes society come together. Let's just say Adani creates this big coal mine, and then all of a sudden the reef is so polluted that someone in downtown Cairns can't eat prawns anymore. They're going to be angry because the reef is so ruined that there's no more prawns. They're going to become angry, and they're going to take their four-wheel drive down to Canberra, and they're going to make some changes, you know. They're going to shake it up and get that coal mine, canc- coal mine cancer. So we're not having arsenic and mercury run out into the reef so we can get our prawns back. Can you see how the role of something as so bad as a coal mine can wake up even the most sleeping person, you know? Totally. It's far totally. Out, the role of the threat, you know. And I think that's important uh, for the listeners as well, which is, you know, this has been actually a, a surprisingly consistent thing because there's been such a variety of people on this show, but it keeps showing up. Like we're talking about the planet now, but that mirrors down straight to the individual level as well. Is just the opportunity for crisis um, to, yeah, crisis is an opportunity to totally heal and shift and change and grow. Mm, mm, mm. 
it's the idea maybe that crisis isn't actually good or bad. It represents a juncture where we have the option to increase our level of consciousness together. Yeah? Here's an example which is pretty far out. When I first moved to Byron Bay 12 years ago, there was a lot of conflict and a lot of fights in the surf. You know, people competing for waves, people trashing each other's cars, people, where are you from? I'm local. Which beach are you from? Like this whole competition is very violent. And some of the surf breaks are very horrible places to go because of this violence, yeah. you know? Even just witnessing people fighting in the surf. Now, the marine environment in this area has gotten through significant healing. And this is shown by the fact that many predatory sharks have returned. This means that the entire food chain is very healthy. The predatory sharks, um, a symptom of them being more plentiful means that people get eaten and killed. Um, and there's not many other reasons for that except for the fact that there's more people in the water and there's more sharks and it's like, you know, it just means we've got abundance. Yeah. There's more humans, more so we're abundant, abundant planet of life. However, now that there's a shark around, everyone comes together in the water. Oh, a shark, can we get out? Everyone make sure everyone's okay. There's no more fighting in the surf. Yeah, it's like pretty much the surf now is we're all there together and we're having fun. It's all sisters and bros and like, you know, you'd be on a break when it's ripping and someone would be like, go surfers. Yeah. And like, it's, it's, it's really quite hilarious. The conflict is gone because there is a new threat and the new threat is not human. Mm. It's far out, man. It's far out. That threat has brought people together like a family. Is that an example of healthy competition within nature somewhere? Obviously, it's not competitive within your own species, but the competition, I guess that's the argument for Darwinism, perhaps a little bit, somewhat. I'm just lost there. Oh, man. Uh, I, I don't, you could call it healthy competition. I mean, basically, it's, 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 it's eliminating a, a negative energy of, of, of competition against each other where actually we see the um, shark as the, the enemy. And it's... That's that's potentially quite controversial because some people think that the shark should be killed and some people don't and some people are really okay with the fact that risk like risk to your body is is very normal in the ocean you know mm. so it's like yes there is competition in nature but then there's people out there who will go and who work with those sharks there's a woman who's like a shark whisperer there's people who swim with those sharks who are in that energy who swim with the sharks and they they love them you know so sometimes that is just a perception of consciousness to see the shark as something very negative you know there was a great white down at the pass here in byron bay recently lying on its back kind of just playing oh, you know? oh, like, oh man byron is so special like, oh, <laughs> so, yeah like it's, it's it's these things happen and i think that um the the interesting thing about the shark is is it a threat or is it a perceived threat mm. And is it a misperception? And the amazing kind of cosmic joke here is that the misperception of the threat has made people love each other more. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's an archetypal example. Archetypal by that, I mean a pattern of behavior. There's a threat and then people come together. Yeah. yeah. Like, look, if there was, a, if there was a, a, a comet coming to hit the Earth, all of a sudden all the countries would drop all their differences and would work together to try and work out a way to destroy the comet yeah that's an interesting thought experiment isn't it and it's um let's say there's no comet and all the media said that there was hmm. so we all start to work together and love one another to create a solution to destroy the comet and it's actually a cosmic joke have you seen 
just like the misperception about the Have show. Have you seen a movie called Arrivals? You mean Arrival? Arrival, I think that might be it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very good movie. This, this movie is, 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 is very brilliant in the sense that it explores an idea in quantum physics called uh, retroactivity or retroactive um, causes or non-linear communication where the main character, that woman, that woman starts to communicate with herself non-linearly, which means she's, that her, her thoughts and experiences in the future start to travel back in time to her past self which is a normal human ability, a normal human ability where information can travel backwards and forwards through time. You know, they call that entanglement in physics is how we send information to us. You know, when you become a bit psychic with your partner, you think the same thing at the same time or all that sort of thing. Which is quantum physics, yeah? Yeah, quantum physics. This is quite deep what I'm about to say, but the most fundamental um, state of entanglement is that with ourselves through time. That means that we affect ourselves from now. We can affect ourselves at 10 years old. We can affect ourselves in 10 years' time by what we're doing now. We are entangled with ourselves through time because uh, our consciousness moves through time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty far out, but if you get into quantum physics, it's all there. It's all, it's all right there, and it's an amazing thing. Which is So that movie, that, that movie explores that in, in, a, in, a, in a way that we can understand. Yeah there's, there's some, yeah, there's a lot of really deep themes in that movie, that being the cornerstone one. Um, the, the one the, another thing that I took away from it was um, just bit like the banding together that was required by the human species because um, uh, just to sh- – I'm going to ruin the movie for the listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the there's a message that's basically arrived um, and it's uh, spread in nine different places on the planet, but we're not aware that it's one congruent message. There's different parts to a message and basically we've all been given a part to the message and the great superpowers on the planet at the time need to band together to resolve it. And until that happens, we're actually not deemed worthy of the message, but we actually go to conflict with each other thinking that the message is technology and how to use it against each other until we finally, this lady figures out that we need to band together. Um, and then obviously that deep connection with um, the lady that communicates with herself through time, which was profound. And what you've just touched on um, actually has been really a profound, um, is, is really profound for me. Uh, yeah, because I'm not sure. Retro causality. Yeah, and retro causality. The 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 connection to yourself. Um, yeah, something about the word entanglement. Um, I've probably got to look in there. There's a, there's something about myself that doesn't like that. I like to look at it as quantum connection. But the idea that um, what you've just shared that you're more connected to yourself through time than even your quantum connections around you, which is intense because in real time, here and now, um, I've had, okay, if anyone's got a dog, your dog picks up on your moods, your behaviors, and that's like, that's, that's, I see that as a real primitive but real easy way to sort of see your quantum connection in exercise. Um, and then I've had this moment where, my partner was on the other side of the planet for 10 months, traveling the world, finding her purpose, exploring um, herself. And what she basically, she would have, okay, I'm going to go all the way with this. So she's in a, in a, in a, in a forest in Brazil 
and she's been talking to her friend about this. You know, she hasn't listened to this group called Above and Beyond for, you know, since the last time we were together, which was about seven months ago, and we were listening to their album together. And now she's she's been sitting in the forest in Brazil, and she's talking to her friend, who she's just a new friend of hers, and they've just rediscovered they've just discovered that they both love this particular band, Above and Beyond, uh, electronic performance group, um, Above and Beyond. And they're talk they've been talking about it for three hours. Now she calls me up, and it's Friday night at my house, and I'm vacuuming. And as I'm doing the vacuuming, I've put on Above and Beyond because it's you know, and she's like. Have you been listening to them a lot? And I was like, no, I just, I was, I was looking for something upbeat. I put them on. And there's this like complete silence for a few moments. Cause it's like, I didn't tune into him for seven months. You didn't tune into him for seven months. What the shit just happened here? You know? And it's just like, there's this, this acknowledgement that's like, Hmm. You know, I, I for one don't believe in coincidence at all, but that's quite controversial. Um, but not believing in coincidence kind of goes right that's kind of strange, right? That's kind of cool. That's kind of poetic. Um, and so I now label that as being the quantum entanglement with the people that you're connected to. And so that for me was extremely profound. Um, but then realizing when you shared that your quantum connection, being on the other side of the planet to someone and having the same aha moments, um, or even living in the same city as people, but not but seeing each other and having the same aha moments and then coming back together. And I was like, oh my God, my last three weeks was the same as yours. Um Realizing that your connection to yourself, obviously yourself would be much stronger, but through time, well, yeah, man. yeah it's, it's it's deep. I mean, you, your story is very beautiful, and um, that's really fantastic that that happened. And touch wood. <laughs> what I like to what I like to say with people when it comes to stories like that is because people would be like, "Oh, then the weirdest thing happened." What you experienced with your lover is not mm. weird. Totally agree. It is normal. We need to – this, and I believe we have come from a time in human history and a lot of people in the world still live in this reality of this invisible connection. Now, a, me a mechanistic person would be like, well, statistically, it's just like a coincidence, you know? And they think that there is no invisible tether between you and your partner. Now, if you look at the work of Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, he will talk about a morphogenic field. This is a field of consciousness that is shared between you and your lover that gets um, basically entrained through your connection and gets stronger and stronger. This is the same with your dog. They've, his books on this, uh, they've done a lot of experience, uh, a lot of tests with, 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 with pets. And this is, you know, this is so easy to verify for people who don't believe in the sort of thing to look at these experiments beyond statistical chance, everything like that. We are connected through a field of consciousness, and he calls it the morphogenic field. David Wilcock, again, has got a whole book on it called The Source Field Investigations, where they start to study all the different ways that we are joined together by a field of invisible energy, which, which can give us thoughts. Now, when it comes to being literally um, entangled with ourselves through time, now let's say, let's say when you were 10, hypothetically here that you might have been you like i know i was when i was overweight and i was feeling down and i was maybe feeling alone something like that that i can give my 10 year old self love and support right now from here i can send that love and intention back to myself and give me that little kick that little push that love that i need yeah it's very interesting uh, again, this is so we can start to manipulate ourselves retroactively to produce more health in the present. And this is how retroactive healing works. This means that our entire timeline is interactive. Yeah. 
Our consciousness can change it. Um, if you look at the movie Interstellar, they explain in that movie very carefully how love can move through time and space to create communication between the father and his daughter. I'll, I'll show you a really nice example of uh, retroactive, uh, retrocausality. I'm working in a cafe one time, and I walk in the door, and I see some rubbish on the ground, and I'm like, oh man, someone hasn't cleaned up properly last night. I haven't been at work for a few days, and I see some, some fruit on the ground and some bits of paper. I leave it because I'm going to put on some music and I'm going to do some cleaning. So I go to the stereo and I open up my laptop and I'm like, oh, man, what do I want to listen to? And I'm like, first thing popped on my head, Emancipator. Again, electronic music group from the United States. Bit upbeat, kind of good for the morning, you know. And then I'm going to do some cleaning. Music. Get that on. You know, I warm up the amplifier and got my tunes going and I go back out. My next task is the rubbish, all right? Again, I haven't been at work for a few days, Okay. I pick up the strawberry, it's half eaten, it's a bit of a bummer, and I throw it in the garden and I go to the bit of paper, and there's a bit of paper with nothing on it, lying face down in the concrete, and I pick it up, and what's written on the bottom, but the word emancipator. Now, <laughs> I was always going to pick up the bit of rubbish, you know, I'm a little bit OCD, okay, I was always, I'm always going to pick up that bit of rubbish, no one else is coming to work for an hour, and I get things clean, that's what I do, I pick up the bit, I was always going to have, now, yeah. That's pretty significant. <laughs> so if you're going to get logical, this meant that another staff member would have been playing it the day before. A customer would have said, hey, what's that music? And they would have gone, oh, I'll write it down for you. And they write it down and give it to the person. The customer would have dropped it or something like that. Okay. However, I put that bit of music on because the significance of finding the piece of paper, the, the, the thought that I experienced, the emotion, whatever it was, that thought, emancipator, traveled backwards in time to myself. That's called retrocausality. That means that something that happened to me in the future manipulated me in the past. And that is not the way we think about not it. Not at all. This is called nonlinear dynamics. Okay? Here's another example. Okay? This is by a um, Dean Radin, who's done an experiment on this to prove how this works. Okay? A random number generator means it's random. No one knows what the number's going to be. Now, let's just say you set up a random number generator. If it picks an even number, it's hooked up to a computer monitor, and you sit down in front of the computer monitor. If it picks an even number, it's going to show you a lovely image, like some puppies or some flowers or a laughing baby or a mountain lake, something nice. If the random number generator chooses an odd number, it's going to show you something not nice, like a violent war scene or or something bad, something bad, a burning building, you know, a car accident. It's going to show you something bad. No one knows what that's going to be. The random number generator is going. It's going to choose something in 10 seconds. What's it going to be? Is it going to be even in a nice image? Is it going to be odd in a bad image? They really did this, man. You're sitting there in front of the um, computer screen, and you are hooked up to an EEG. You are hooked up to an electroencephalograph, which means that it is measuring the electricity in your body. It's measuring your skin electricity. It's measuring your pulse, your blood, all this stuff, yeah. man. You're sitting there. Now, when it's a nice image, you go, oh, nice image. Nothing really happens on the EEG, you know. The EEG sort of more picks up stress, like when a lie detector, yeah. you know. So. When the random number, it's counting down. In 10 seconds, the random number generator is going to choose a negative image, let's say. When it is a negative image, your body will respond 
before the image is chosen. <laughs> that means that your experience, when you see the, you see a train wreck and you're like, oh man, a train wreck in your body a little bit. You're just like, a, like, whoa, train wreck, right? It's not a very nice thing, okay? There's maybe some dead bodies. Your negative response travels backwards in time so that your body is prepared before it even happens. This means that we are psychic about negative, stressful things in nature. We feel things before they happen. People feel the threat of a car accident before it actually happens to them. People feel a threat from a lion or a tiger or an angry person at the pub before it happens because the actual stress and emotional fallout of a negative experience sends shockwaves through time to ourselves to warn us. And you know what's really far out? Is women feel this in their womb, in their sexual center. Women will often feel danger in their sexual center before it happens because the psychic faculties of a woman are very tuned to looking after children out in nature and to detect threats in the environment before they occur. So women are very psychic to to um, things before they happen because, again, the shockwave of the threat, the emotions you feel when the threat occurs, travels back in time to guess who, yourself. <laughs> you know, oh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's radical. I mean, again, the science is there, the writing's on the wall, beyond statistical relevance. You can look at Dr. Russell Targ's book, The Reality of ESP, or you can look at Dean Radin's stuff. I mean, you can go down the rabbit hole as far as you want if you're totally in the kind of scientific loop. It's all there. This is not wacky pseudoscience, spirituality, tie-dye, hippy-dippy, blah-blah. This is reality. We are super psychic conscious warrior beings who can see things through time and space and enhance our lifestyle and connection with each other in the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. Viva. <laughs> <laughs> so something that's emerging through that um, is... I can't help but ponder destiny when you're talking about that. Um, how much of our purpose is, uh, like, because obviously one of the values of the show is purpose and wisdom. And um, But, yeah, how does destiny play into that then? So if I'm sending back info, like, okay, if I've got, because there's definitely stories of people that have missed flights and then the flight goes down. And so as you were sharing that, I was thinking about that example about, okay, maybe my future self, looks out for me in a certain way and it wasn't my time to go and so it sends me back and now this time I miss a flight. How is that planning out in destiny? Was I always going to miss that flight or is the future not as written in stone as some people make it out to be in terms of destiny and it's, it is a dynamic thing And but then I'm already existing in the future as well. It's kind of this weird dance, probably existing on two... It's dynamic, it's dynamic, it's dynamic destiny and oxymoron. Right now, I don't ever use the word destiny. Right, well, I just realized that. Like, there's this thing the, the English language sucks. <laughs> right, it is, it is, it is the most cumbersome language for having any kind of spiritual conversation. Mm. Yeah, if we spoke Tibetan, or or maybe even Hebrew, or Hindi, or Japanese, or Mandarin we would probably have the terminology to really start riffing on the spiritual stuff. However, the word destiny 
did you have an English lesson at school where they taught you what destiny meant? No. Did you have an English language at school where they taught you what spirituality or spirit or soul or ascension meant? We make up these words when we read fantasy books, man. So, you know, Luke, come to the dark side. It is your destiny, said Darth Vader to his son, Luke Skywalker. Well, was it his destiny? I don't know. Let's look at it another way. Lutherians. Lutherians are a type of Christian who believe in predestination. Predestination. That means that by through the act of being Lutheran, you are predestined to go to heaven and no one else is. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? Because once you're Lutheran, you can pretty much do what you want because you're predestined to go to heaven. <laughs> you know, it's, you've got a, you've got a golden <laughs> ticket. Yeah. You look at a lot of people in the Jehovah's Witness religion where they basically entrain young children to think that no people who are not a Jehovah's Witness are not going to heaven and that we need to help them, you know? But basically they are inferior and they're not going to heaven. And if they don't join our religion, then it doesn't matter. It's like it's them or us, whatever, you know, we're going to heaven. Again, you have these separations, this idea of destiny. We are destined for something greater and that there's something wrong with the present moment. And that heaven's going to be like super sweet. Dude, there's a big misperception going on there. So destiny, I think, is something that is like, it's almost like a cop out. It's like saying, this is out of my control. I am destined to failure. I am destined to success because that's what my mum said. You know, okay. It is a cop out where we're actually spiritually handing over our responsibility to something that we think is out of our yeah, control. I, I see what you're saying there. So, in the examples, the two examples that have, uh, one from yourself, one from myself. So, there's the example of where you picked up the piece of paper and had Emancipator written on it, um, and you'd already played Emancipator, because you were always going to find that piece of paper. There was always that future connection to that that was happening for you. So, the part, like, the future was, and maybe this is my lack of understanding, this is what you say, maybe the destiny is dynamic, but there was a part of it in there that was already again, cumbersome mind, um, stuck in stone that that was going to happen in terms of the way the paper was there and that was going to happen for you. Alternatively, the people that missed the flight that was go- that went down, um, that's them projecting into the future and that's not set in stone because obviously something around them shifted. Mm. Yeah, here's, here's, I got gotcha. you. All right, let's just say you're at, you're at the gate and you're going to board the plane and you've got a really bad feeling. Every part of your being, your gut, is telling you. There's a consciousness in your gut that tells you about things. This is the bacteria in your gut that is actually communicating you. you everything else. is telling you not to get on that plane. Okay? Mm. Now, you can ignore all of that and go, oh, I don't know why I'm feeling like this, and get on the plane. The plane crashes and you die. All right? And as the plane's going down, you're like, oh, I should have listened to myself. Or you can listen and go, there's something wrong here. And this really happens, man. And people don't get on that plane. The plane goes down. They're like, wow, that was that feeling. Let's just say, when I go to put that music on, the first thing that comes up is Emancipator. And I can be like, oh, that's weird. I definitely don't want to listen to Emancipator and put a Michael, Michael Jackson, yo. You know, like it's like you can ignore the impulses or you can listen to the universe. You can listen to yourself, you know. So it's about, 
the idea with becoming sensitive is actually acting on the things that come through. You have a sudden thought to call someone, call them. Yep. You know, you have a sudden thought to not take that exit and take the next exit off the highway. And then you find out some really bad stuff was happening over there. You know, these little impulses, these little whispers, you know, we can speculate where they come from, but I think they come from ourselves, you know, and maybe ourselves in the future, maybe ourselves in the past. That quantum connection you know? to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, man. And just to listen and to, 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 to act more off this intuition, you know, because you can sit there and assess and crunch numbers and do the equations and look at all the variables for your entire life and never act, mm-hmm. you know. Sometimes you just got to just move. Totally, totally. So I just want to reflect on um, just how interesting the time <laughs> that we're living in here and now really is, um, you know, and uh, like for me it's it's exemplified in, in I'm really like just grateful for the work that you do is probably the, the right word to use. Um, obviously, you know, when those little tune into your talks after, obviously they'll get a lot out of this and they'll, they'll be tuning into some of your YouTube channels. Um, there's just, there's, there's work on science, but there's also work on mysticism. And I think for me, that is probably one of the most amazing things about being alive now is that, you know, like there's yoga in the West, there's meditation in the West, you know, there's, productivity going to the east it's like this fusion of you know mysticism and science is just like two very you know it's almost like people establish these pillars for us to now build the decking on top of it to bridge all these roads and build a platform where everybody can dance on top of it and take the best of everything together um and it's just such a privilege but you obviously don't just look like you've obviously done a lot of work in terms of going down the rabbit hole of each of like you know in mysticism and not just you know a particular sort you know you've looked at south america asia india then you've also looked at hard science you know you've looked at physics you've looked at biology um i was just hoping to to just throw that in there and just you know because for me this time feels really auspicious really a blessing to be a part of where we can have conversations like this and really you know the the depth that's afforded to us um from that dynamic approach in that space. Mm, mm, yeah, man. Like something that's really beautiful to think of, like humanity as one, one organism, right? You think about your body, trillions of cells in your body. Okay. Well, the, the collective human organism at the moment has billions of cells and each cell is one human. Okay. And now we've gotten to a point where through this thing we call the internet is that connection is becoming more and more clear that we are, we are in this together. We're a part of, we're actually sharing consciousness. We're sharing mind. We are sharing our physiology too. Our DNA is written into the light around us and is flowing around us. DNA is not a, it's a physical thing, but it's also non-physical. It's light and physical matter. It's like a crystal. Yeah, we are. This time is really amazing because there is a beautiful synergy, a new Tao, a new way, you know, where mysticism, science, spirituality, you know, this connection is is happening. And we're realizing that um, a lot of ideas we've taken as such religious dogma have been have been harming us and harming uh, the earth. 
and like if you look at the the work of someone like Russell Brand who who uses comedy and 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 good 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 um he's got a good take on the English language you know and and the, the way he gets information out there and just the way a, a YouTube video can go viral now you get an idea you know they can go viral this wasn't happening hundreds of years ago it might go viral in our consciousness like you get people would in, invented the printing press all over the world at the same time yeah it went viral in consciousness so many human inventions were invented all over the world at the same time because when someone learns something it spreads through consciousness in england there used there was a bird called a blue tit you know we I mean, hear the birds right now these birds they realized that it was decades ago they used to have the glass milk bottle with a foil top and under the top when the when the milk's not homogenized the cream sits at the top yeah and one of the birds realized it could peck through it and eat the cream right now these birds are not migratory which means they they have a small home home um Radix home, sort of thing. home yeah. home yeah they don't they don't piss off anyone all over Europe, the same species of bird within the few weeks started all doing the same thing to milk everywhere, which meant that the trick, the invention, the new technology of using your beak through the foil to eat the cream spread through the consciousness of that species. That means that, yes, we do have this kind of internet. If you are sensitive, we are all connected. However, this physiological, this physical, this technology internet is reminding us that we can have an idea and we can spread it and actually create a positive change, you know, or a negative change. You know, it's 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 really quite far out. So the time we're in is very interesting. How do we use these technological tools and our and our wisdom to actually create goodness, you know? Because at the moment, they're going down the, the avenue of transhumanism and AI and stuff like that. That's not going to create goodness, you know? It's, it's this – transhumanism is based on the idea of being anxious about dying, you know? Mm. It's, it's ridiculous. People want to live forever and all this sort of stuff and put microchips in people's brains and all this sort of bad bad stuff, you know? And it's like how do we use all this technology – to create more love, you know, and that's that's it, man, and that's why everything's so interesting, you know. How do we use this technology to heal the ocean, to heal the rivers? How do we learn deeper how to use sound and light to heal our bodies, you know? How do we learn to use this technology to create, give parents more time and space to bring up children in a healthy way where the parents are available to the children, where they don't have to be at work? How do we use this technology so that we don't have to buy food anymore? The fact that we pay money for food is like is complete is completely bogus. Like we live inside an illusion. It's like a big trick. Yeah, it's a big trick. It's a big cosmic giggle, man. Mm. And some people don't. Some people yeah. don't get to laugh. No. Yeah. No. Again, that's because of the competition. Because some people think it's a competition. Yeah, I was watching this interview with, um, We're in a, with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he's, um, you know, he, he he poses the question. He's a famous astrophysicist, and uh, he talks exactly to what you're talking to. He goes, you know, what would you? He presents the the person he's interviewing with the option to live forever. He goes, if you could live forever, truthfully, 
would you go and do it? And the guy, the words hadn't even left Neil deGrasse Tyson's mouth yet. And the guy was like, totally. <laughs> like, absolutely. I would live forever. And then he turns around to Neil deGrasse Tyson and goes, wouldn't you want to? And Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, similar to the vein of Alan Watts, where Alan Watts describes, you know, that death is the fertilizer for life, the, the seeds that you plant. Neil deGrasse goes, I, I wouldn't accomplish anything. You know, like I'm this prominent astrophysicist now and I'm really passionate about these inner workings of, you know, like the world out there. And the reason I'm driven is because there's so much awareness of the fact that I'm here for a limited time. Um, And it's interesting what you're saying in that, you know, with artificial intelligence and the way that we're trying to extend our timeline to that idea of eternity, um, uh, like digital consciousness is is an interesting, is an interesting, um, yeah, com- very interesting sort of space to be in. Actually, that yeah. it's reductionist. It's reductionist because yeah. people think that consciousness is just the you know the boss, the neofrontal cortex, which is like it's a part of the brain which is the size of a dinner napkin and just as thin and wrapped around everything else. What about ninety five percent of how we feel? What about our gut consciousness? What about the consciousness in our sexuality in, in a woman's womb, the consciousness in our heart? How do you put all these different types of consciousness together? Do you know what I mean? If you are going to duplicate your consciousness digitally, you are going to reduce who you are, you know, and you're going to reduce the 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 the, the, the beautiful, you know, blissful synergy of all these different levels of being in a human body having this beautiful experience death is a part of life complete tangent uh not, not complete tangent yeah, but man. um i don't know what your relationship with i just have to ask a question is that what the gods did with us <laughs> well you know they did the best they could with the tools they had and we're created in the image of god and the digital consciousness that we perhaps may create they'll look at us as the gods well Dude, that's complicated. (laughs) If you say we're created, created in the image of God, so if God is creative, then we are created to be creative. Uh So our natural state is to be creative. Totally. Do you know what I mean? And the natural state of being creative is to make love, to make love and create more life. Mm. Yeah, and to to live in the moment, to know that nothing lasts forever. The ultimate state of meditation. The ultimate state of being in, in, in free flow with the universe is to make intentional present love with your lover as your creative meditation. Creating a microchip, maybe, you know, like there's no right or wrong, man. But again, if we create AI and we have Judgment Day, you know, we have a Terminator kind of two situation and then we create this new threat of the robots and that brings humanity together and we fight the robots Cool, man. There's no right or wrong. It's gonna bring us together. We'll make more love. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like whatever. Like it's, it's all, it's all good, man. But I think that, um, yeah, the idea that that people have with transhumanism is that they want to become God. Mm. They want to become mm. more. They want to become more than, more than other people. Yeah, like a superiority complex over others, uh, a one-upmanship. Yeah, checkmate. Man. Comes back to that. Like, a lot of that sort of energy comes from scarcity, anxiety, childhood problems. You know, 
like where you a lot of people become so wrapped up in this economic world that they don't do enough work on themselves that they can become spiritually um comfortable and then they're forced into retirement at age 64 or whatever it is and have a complete spiritual meltdown because they've associated their entire ego with the degrees they've got in their job. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you touched on this before <laughs> in that, um, you know, the, the English language has, uh, has limitations. Um, is that is that kind of why, um, you know, is that part of why the reason I, I tuned into the fact you want to go live in Taiwan? Oh man, Taiwan for me, uh, when I, I can't really explain this, dude. But here's here's what happens when I'm around people who speak Mandarin. When I'm around people speak Mandarin, I feel like I'm at home. Mm. Yeah, I grew up in New Zealand. I've lived in China. I felt home. I'll be at a train station and there'll be people arguing in Mandarin. I'll just go stand near them. I'll be like, oh, that's great. <laughs> <You know>? Nice. <laughs> the, more, the, more, the more Mandarin that I learn, mm. the more I, I find that English is just a, a, is, is cumbersome, backwards, upside down, and around the wrong way. You know, The thing is with a Taiwan as well is there's a very beautiful culture of, of um, for one, like uh, creativity. Taiwanese culture, are very, they're very into um, – for one, health, organics, longevity, yeah. Taoism, tea, you know, mushrooms, you know, yeah, um, just uh, wicked stuff. It's like they've. It's like someone from Taiwan once said to me. They said, "All the best things about China in, in <laughs> Taiwan. They've taken the best tea, the best recipes, the best architecture. You know that it's just. It's where there's this this zest for 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 beauty and good stuff." like a really good teapot or a really good beef noodle soup, you know, like whatever it is, it's just like really nice craftsmanship where the, the, the beautiful creativity of the human potential is celebrated culturally, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's very, very cool to, to realize that um, these sorts of places exist. And the other thing as well is, there's, there's, there's a Zen element, which you can have in Japan too. And that uh, what I really like about, Zen architecture, Zen art, everything like that is the celebration of space. Mm, totally, yeah. Is that because this represents the the the, the micro that the fact that the atom is mostly space. You know, the human cell is mostly space. The human body is mostly water. Yeah, like when you have a like the Zen architecture, it celebrates the space in a room. A Zen painting is celebrating the space of blank paper and using a small amount of ink to bring the space alive. If you have an altar in your room or an altar in your house, if you clutter it with crystals and all your sacred objects or whatever, it doesn't really work. You need to have space on your altar as well. And it's about understanding how space or a small amount of um, something activates space, you know. So a culture that celebrates this where everything isn't cluttered and it's the, the amazing opposite to that is like a – is Western society? I'm not saying everyone in Taiwan is like this, but Taiwan is a place where this is a bit more yep. happening, cultivated. And I, I love the language. I love tea, and I love um, soft martial arts, qigong, kung fu, where we've become more in touch with our body. But yeah, man, like it's just it's that you know, and it's being surrounded by a language which flows out of the mouth in a very um, natural way. There is an idea out there that English is actually using sounds in our mouth and our vocal cords, which are actually backwards to what is natural for the the body okay 
and there are other languages around the world which actually flow uh, more. There are Sequoia people in South America where their language is based around bird sounds. You know? Yeah, it's, it's um, one of the only languages that. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, look, you're right. You're right. Um, oh, I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say it's one of the. I was, I was just going to jump in on that consciousness. Um, it's one of the only languages that doesn't sound like sing song. Yeah, like you hear people speak Spanish, you hear people speak French, and it's like there's got this melody to it, you know? It's like this consistent flow, and it's it's beautiful to listen. Like I could listen to people speaking Spanish just just for the love of just what that sounds like. Um, and But in terms of English, it, it is a bit more that it's got that jarring nature. Definitely, definitely feeling that. The interesting thing about that is that maybe there's a speculation that this jarring nature in the language by design, influences the brain to make us less confident and less secure and less at, at home in society, which makes us potentially less fearful, more displaced, and easy to control. That English is the language of domination. Interesting. Which is interesting when you see the way that certain cultures were literally tortured into stopping speaking their native tongue and speaking English, you know? how the Spanish tortured people and beat children to make them speak Spanish in Mexico. And then those children were, were tortured and beaten to make them speak English, not Spanish. That's interesting, isn't it? What is the problem with indigenous language? Why do we need to beat indigenous language out of people? And the reason is that to control people, you do not want them to speak their native language. Okay. Cause this will give them power over you. Hmm. It obviously, it it also obviously robs them of an identity. Um, that's right. That's right. The more the more confused someone feels about their identity, the easier that they more the more they they confuse the feel confused they feel about being on the planet. The effect of stolen generation oh, in Canada wow. yeah. in Australia is a long term epigenetic compounding displacement energetically of someone's consciousness from themselves. It has been designed designed in London to do this to people. Designed by, in politics, by the the absolute genius architecture of pain in the British government in the 1800s to literally um, create a long-term genocidal solution to invading other countries under the name of imperial domination. Queen and country, king and country. You know, it's, um, yeah, we're still suffering from that. It's, it's we're waking up and that's, that's cool. It's the trauma that sparks the revolution. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you, um, I know success is probably an interesting word, um, but this is a question that I do ask. So in, in, in your awareness, who to you would you say is, um, is someone that is you feel responsible looking up to or taking inspiration from, sourcing inspiration from? Who do you feel responsible while taking inspiration from? Um, what do you mean responsible? So, to? like, you feel responsible in yourself, as in your you feel whole when you're sourcing inspiration from it. Normally, the question is, who to you is successful? Um, but I think that has a lot of social conditioning around it, which didn't feel right in the context of this conversation. Um, so it was more like, okay, I'm, uh, when you're sourcing inspiration from. Who to you is the most inspirational person um, that you feel most whole sourcing inspiration from? 
Mm, yeah. I mean, number one would come up with my Kung Fu teacher, um, Luhan Mattis. His website is parallelperception.com. Luhan literally lives in a state of unconditional love with his with his students and he is so aware of the invisible reality through time that he is aware of everything you're feeling and thinking as you're thinking it just by looking at you. He is a very um, amazing in expressing your emotions back to you, expressing your most hidden subconscious feelings of conflict or anger or violence and to really help us helps me and helps his students understand that normal human experience is to actually know, see and feel that we are connected to each other and ourselves through time, that we are deeply supposed to be just loving, just to love and give and create. And that the way the world is now is deeply not normal. We are in a global amnesia. Yeah. People like Luhan are connected to themselves through lifetimes they will learn something for an entire lifetime and then remember it in the next lifetime. This is far out, you know, and they, these sorts of people celebrate purposelessness, celebrate fine-tuning the mind and body to high octave levels of, of health and longevity and devote their time and energy and lives to helping others. So when you are around That's someone, beautiful. and this is their genuine energy, this is genuine they don't even tell you. They don't tell you any of that. This is just it's pervading out of them through the space, yeah. And it's like it's so amazing that there's no there's no ego. There's no trying to prove themselves. And the 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 word success never comes up because success is is a um is a again it's a word which creates a misperception that we need to think about the future, which robs us of our personal power. Well, that means our conscious attention is on an idea. Yeah, which we attach to, and then we have an ultimatum of like, well, I need to be successful by the end of the year, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna be anorexic if I'm not to punish myself for not working hard enough. The idea of success is again, it's English language terminology which robs our perception and harvests it and puts it in a future event, which again is one of the causes of mainstream anxiety to be lost in the ideas of the future. So he's one person, man. There's lots more. <laughs> I've got a lot of. I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed with teachers in my life, and um, I think that the more I come across beautiful teachers, it's just helping me understand how to listen more. You know, when I was 18, I thought I knew everything. You know, so when I was 20, I definitely knew everything. You know, like it's just that sort of ego collapse that you need to go through in your 20s of learning to listen to yeah, our elders. Process. And, and learning learning to listen to people younger than us, learning to listen to children, learning to listen to our parents, you know, and just, just it's it's often when we think we know everything and we don't want to listen, it's because we need, it's like we're trying to prove that we don't need help from anyone else, which is, this is it's a symptom of the global male vulnerability deficit where us guys are in trying to think that we don't need help and we need to prove that to other people. And that's the, probably the title of my my. My upcoming book, The Global Male Vulnerability Deficit, and that's looking at how that subject is basically the masculine's disconnection from his heart and disconnection from the earth, and that being the biggest cause of environmental destruction and war and conflict politically. Men's disconnection from our emotions 
disconnection from each other, disconnection from the earth, and disconnection from the feminine being the big one there, and how this global male vulnerability deficit is systematic and it's toroidal. We do it to each other. We harm each other as men. We, we try and encourage each other to think that love and gentleness and compassion are weak. And the opposite is true. Yeah, I was about to say, that seems a bit thin on content. I was about to say, that seems a bit thin on content. It's how it's happened. Oh, wow. It's how we do it to each other. Very intriguing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, if you could erect a billboard in Times Square, all that energy, Times Square, New York, right? Um, what would your billboard read? Stop it. Stop it. it. <laughs> uh, I think I think that's I think uh, uh, I think that's something I said saying recently. Yeah, nice. You know? Cool, cool. It's I mean that's that's multi levels, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So succinct, so straight. Yeah, that was perfect. Um, all right, brother. So final question: um, Who are you beyond your identity and your story? Yeah. Beyond, yeah, man, yeah. I am. I am like a. I'm like a whirlpool of light that's traversing, surfing through a physical human form. Like I'm a signal from the universal center. You know, I'm like a Mars rover on Earth in a human body. You know, like I am an. I am a, a fragment of light from this from the universe experiencing itself. You know, co-creating and um, creating and. Um, learning and expanding and growing like for for the for the all you know for everyone you know like it's 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 an amazing thing it's like i'm becoming more and more sensitive and realizing that i am a part of everything else there's no good there's no bad there's no right there's no wrong there's no start and there's no beginning you know it's and that everything everything is always good that's beautiful Thank you so much for sharing that, brother. And on that note, thank you so much for, yeah, bro, for just this amazing conversation today. Super, super insightful. Lots of great content at it. Um, here at Inspired Illusion, um, I'm, I really appreciate what you've done. Um, just in, you know, just the awareness of, just on a, like a, a small sliver of just, you know, if I can share like, you know, uh, names like Bruce Lipton, Graham Hancock, David Hawkins, Rupert Sheldrake, Dean Rader, Russell Targ, David Suzuki, David Wilcock, Joe Dispenza, Gabo Mate, Russell Brand, you know, all this content that, you know, is is dense. Each individual has his own dense field of understanding unto itself and you've brought all this together and really made it really palatable, really, really palatable. Um, so for those that are listening, um, I really encourage them to check out your work on YouTube and also your website. Um, you're on Facebook and super accessible. Like I sent you a message and, you know, you got in touch within, you know, within that day, it was really, really, really accessible. And yeah, so I'm, I'm really, I'm just really grateful for the the work that you've obviously, you know, that's just a sliver of the content that, you know, you've, you've invested yourself in, but then also living in the contribution that you make um, from that aware space is, yeah, really inspirational and really humbling to, to just witness and to, to receive from. So 
Thank you so much. And also just for today's message about, you know, like pr- predominantly the, the biggest takeaway for me was, was oneness and, you know, our connection to ourself. And I think that's really powerful for the listeners as well. So thank you so much for that. I really want to thank you for being who you are, brother. Um, and on the Inspired Evolution, man, we are an absolute, I just love the human journey and I wish you all the best on yours. Thank you so much, and thanks for your podcast. It's a beautiful, um, creative healing platform, you know. And thanks for the invite, man. You are making this happen, you know. And you never know what you're going to get if you don't ask, you know. So it's just about stepping out there and and, and and doing it, and and coming together and creating creating more love, man. You know. So yeah, more life to you, man. And yeah, and bless you on your your journey with this. And hopefully, be in touch with you in the future. We'll do this all again and talk about something completely. Can't different. wait, Viva. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bowl and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bowl and branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.